Take your Bibles, please, and turn me to Genesis chapter 39 this morning as we continue our study on Joseph. God meant it for good, the life of Joseph. We're going to go back and begin reading again at verse 1 and read through some verses we studied last week and then add to that today. Genesis chapter 39, and we'll begin our reading at verse number 1. Genesis 39, verse 1. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him. And he made him overseer over his house, and all that he had he put into his hand. And it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in his house, and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not aught he had, save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person. And well favored. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and she said, lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, behold, my master, what if not what is with me in the house? And he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And it came to pass as she spake to Joseph day by day that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business. And there was none of the men of the house there within. And she called him by his garment, saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled. And got him out. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your blessings. Thank you for this passage of scripture. Help me, Lord, to expound it correctly. I pray the Holy Spirit to be our teacher today and to have his will and way in each and every heart that's here. Work in a wonderful way, I pray in the Savior's name. Amen. Little Alexander was trying to save all his pennies in order to buy a baseball bat. You can imagine how many pennies it would take to do that. But to be honest, little Alexander was having a real hard struggle. And one night as he was saying his prayers, his mother overheard him saying this and praying this very fervently. Oh, Lord, please help me save my money for a baseball bat. And God don't let the ice cream man come down this street. <laughs> you ever felt like little Alexander? It's a great struggle against temptation. Danielle and I, we love going to the Outer Banks of North Carolina. We would consider it one of our favorite spots. In fact, we're planning a trip there uh, next year. And now that you know that, you can see why I'd be interested in this story, this account from Charles Durham's book, Temptations. Helps for struggling Christians. He writes several hundred years ago on the island of Cape Hatteras, off the shore of North Carolina, there were men whose business it was to get ships to run aground on the shoals just off the island. 
These men were wreckers who made their living gathering up the parts and cargo of such ships. Now, listen, with a lighted lantern fastened to the head of an old nag, a horse, these men of Nag's head, for that was the name of their village, they walked up and down and back and forth. Now, out in the sea, in the darkness of the mid-Atlantic night, ships that were searching for a passage past the islands would mistake that bobbing light on that old nag's head for the light off the stern of a ship. They supposed that ship had found safe passage around the island and they would turn and begin to follow that and they would run aground on Diamond Shoals. When the morning, these wreckers, they would come and gather all the timber for new houses, the utensils for their kitchens and money for their purses. I understand he writes it was a thriving business. In fact, he writes, even now, visitors to Nags Head will be shown old houses built and furnished with the material taken from the more than twenty three hundred ships that perished off this coast, either by accident or treachery. Can you imagine that? Their business was to deceive those out in the sea to get them to turn their ships inward, crash, and then take all the spoils for themselves. Many of us here today have a hard time even imagining such cruelty. But we would be wise to remember that there are those wreckers in our lives who are waving their lanterns, hoping that we soon will likewise crash and sink. And in today's scripture reading, we're introduced to one such wrecker or potential wrecker, I should say, in Joseph's life. A woman who was waving her lantern time and time again, seeking to get Joseph to turn into the rocks and crash so that she could enjoy the spoils. Now, in all honesty, we do not know her name. We know her simply as Potiphar's wife. Steve Farrar suggested a name for her. And I like this name. He calls her Predator. Predator. I think it's a fitting name. You can see him now coming into the party. Hey, there's Potiphar and his wife Predator. Here they come. (laughs) Now, for all those today who would say that the Bible is outdated and the Bible is irrelevant to our day, I think they've never read this chapter. It reads like a script from a primetime television show. It reads like a novel with one exception, and that is Joseph's godly response to this temptation that was set before him. This is a passage that all of us had better take note of and study. It speaks to our day and it speaks to where we live. We would do well to walk with a fear of failing and falling. A noted author, you may know the name Jerry Jenkins, He wrote the following about sexual temptation in his book, Hedges, Loving Your Marriage Enough to Protect It, a book that really every couple in this church would do well to read, Hedges. He says, shall we run scared? Yes, fear is essential. There are several good protections against temptation, Mark Twain said, but the surest is cowardice. Jenkins says, look around, let your guard down. Don't remind yourself that you made a vow before God and men. Don't set up barriers for your eyes, your mind, your hands, your emotions, and see how quickly you become a statistic. A man may say it could never happen to me. I love my wife. We know each other inside and out by now. 
We have left the emotional infatuation stage that ruled our courtship and honeymoon. And we love God's way unconditionally and by the act of our wills. We each know the other is not perfect. We accept and love each other anyway. We're listen, we're invulnerable to attack, especially by lust that leads to immorality. But when notice, I said, but when that man falls because he had not planted hedges to protect himself, his tune changes. His excuse becomes that he fell out of love. The old magic was gone. The wife got too busy with the house and kids. His needs were not being fulfilled. And Jenkins writes worse. The Christian deserter becomes so infatuated with his new love that he often gives God the credit. Listen, whether you're a man or a woman, you're old or young or middle aged. If you think you're above falling, watch out. And don't just take my word for it. Let's do what the scripture says. First Corinthians ten twelve says, wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Now, being mindful of that, beloved, let's study this passage. And we're asking God to open our hearts and our minds and equip us to withstand the temptations that come our way. Now, in the remainder of chapter thirty nine, this a portion we're starting here at the end of verse six and through the last part in verse twenty three. Joseph's going to face three different challenges. We're going to study those. We're only going to cover one today and we'll save the other two for next time. And today's challenge, of course, is the challenge of temptation. We want to talk about the challenge of temptation. We'll examine the temptation. We'll examine Joseph's response to the temptation. And then finally, we'll examine some practical helps for us as we battle temptation. Well, let's look at the temptation, examine it first. Notice when it came. Look at the verse seven there, the opening words. And it came to pass after these things. Well, what things? Well, all that we've learned about Joseph so far in our study, but more specifically, what has happened to him since arriving in Egypt. In verse one of this chapter, he's bought by Potiphar. He's sold as a slave from the Ishmaelites to become a slave of Potiphar. And Joseph, because of God's blessings, the Lord was with him because of the wise choices that he makes. He worked this way all the way up as a slave now to become overseer of Potiphar's house. And as a slave, he's experienced prosperity and promotion. Things are going along pretty well, considering he's a slave. He has the trust of his master. He has success. He has responsibilities and probably many perks that the average slave only dreamed about. And it came to pass after these things. And it's a reminder today, beloved, that temptation will often come. Listen, after great success, it will often come when things are going great. Why? Because our guard is down. Things are pleasant. Things are going well. We kind of got things coasting along here. We let our guard down and temptation comes. James Montgomery Boyce said, beware of temptation when you've achieved a victory. Beware when you've just led someone to the Lord. Think about that. Beware when you've completed some difficult assignment and are now taking some needed and well-deserved rest. Beware of temptation when you think that you have arrived. When did it come? After a time of great promotion, 
prosperity, things going well in his life. Yes, he's a slave, but he's a, he's a successful slave. And it came to pass after these things. When did it come? After promotion and success. Notice who it was from. Verse 7 says again, and it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph. His master's wife, that is Potiphar's wife, predator. That's who it was. Now, we know he was bought by Potiphar earlier in this chapter, and here he's sought by Potiphar's wife. It says here that she cast her eyes upon Joseph. I find that interesting. She cast her eyes upon Joseph. If you back up just a bit, you might have missed it. The last part of verse six says, and Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. Well, so what does that mean? Well, that means this, beloved. And some of your Bibles may even have it this way. It means he was good looking. He was well built and handsome. He was a good looking guy. And let me say, there's nothing wrong with being well built and handsome. I agree with one writer who said it's not fair if you're good looking and handsome, but there's nothing wrong with it. But it can bring with it some challenges, some things that would come in your life because of that. If Joseph's appearance was, how shall we say, homely, we may never have read about this. She would never cast her eyes his way, probably. But because he was handsome and well built and he was somebody that was pleasant to look at, she cast her eyes. And she begins appreciating his handsome appearance. She begins to notice that he is very muscular, that he is well built. And this lady is no ordinary woman. This is Potiphar's wife. Her husband owns Joseph. And in a sense, she, I guess, owned Joseph or so she thought. For Joseph to refuse this woman would certainly not set well with her. I'm sure she was used to getting things that she desired. To refuse this lady could even mean bad things to Joseph. But to accept her offer, it could literally lead to greater advancement. It could lead to greater promotion. But even if it didn't, it would at least mean some sexual pleasure for him. Perhaps lots of it as they could continue this simple relationship, perhaps for many, many days to come. We know when it came and who it was from, but notice what it involved. If you look at this verse seven, it says, and it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph. And she said, watch this, lie with me. What it involved in one word, it involved sex, plain and simple. Lie with me. Come to bed with me. Have sexual relations with me. She's very bold. And she's very pointed. Now, she may have, before she actually verbalized it here, she may have been letting out the hints. She may have been showing herself and saying certain things and trying to woo him with her presence and so forth. But there came a day when she just blurted out the words and she said it. Now, I want you to think about Joseph for a moment, beloved. At this point, he's probably around 27 years old. He's far from home. He's far from his family. He's a slave. In all reality, some would say, what does he have to lose? Remember, Joseph was a real man, just like us. He had the desires that we have. How flattering it is to be noticed in this way. And in all likelihood, Predator was a beautiful woman. 
A desirable woman. And she's very blunt and very bold. She says, lie with me. Let me interject something here. And I want you to hear me and hear me well. Sex was created by God. Sex is good. Sex is not sinful if it is between a husband and a wife. That's God ordained. That's right. That's holy. That's good. That's righteous. But anything outside of the bonds of holy matrimony is sin. The boundaries are clear. The guidelines are laid down. God is very clear in his word. But you know what? Predator didn't care about the guidelines. She didn't care about God. She was a godless woman. She cared about getting her lust fulfilled now. And she was persistent. Just like the wreckers, she went back and forth with that lantern. Look at verse 10. And it came to pass as she spake to Joseph day by day that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. She waved her lantern day in and day out consistently, persistently. Lie with me, lie with me, lie with me. She was trying to wear him down. She probably even thought in her own twisted and wicked mind that this was a fun conquest for sure. Now, she'll eventually wear him down. She'll eventually get him. But I got to point out something here. You need to understand this. Temptation is not sin. Temptation is not sin. I like the way Chuck Swindoll said it. He said there is no sin in the bait. The sin is in the bite. There's no sin in the bait. The sin is in the bite. In other words, to be tempted is not sin. Note that. Mark it down. Make sure you've got that. Jesus Christ was tempted. Jesus Christ was tempted. In fact, the book of Hebrews says it this way. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points. Listen, in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. I don't know about you, but that's an encouragement to realize the Lord Jesus understands what it is to face temptation. And he faced it victoriously. He faced it successfully. You need to understand, beloved, temptation is coming. We all face it. We will face it. We'll keep on facing it. You say, well, you're a preacher. You don't face temptation. Get real. Get real. All of us do. Probably even faced it this morning. I have. Temptations come. They come. And I want you to notice here with Joseph, it doesn't necessarily go away after the one refusal. We would like to have read right that once he said no the first time, she said okay. But she didn't. She said, I'm just going to ramp it up a little bit. And I'm going to keep going after him. Well, let's notice where it ended, beloved. It says in verse 12, and she called him by his garment. Now, how did this come about? Back up to verse 11. He came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business. In other words, he was doing his master's work. He was the overseer of the house. And whether she arranged it this way or it just happened, it said in the end of verse 11, there was none of the men of the house there within. She picked an opportune time, nobody else around. And it says in verse 12, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. That wasn't the idea. She just kind of tugged on his coat. The idea is she physically attached herself in a sense, trying to force him to go to her bed and lie with her. Have you noticed a trend? Joseph's clothes got him in trouble a lot. (laughs) You think about it. 
He, he lost his coat and his brothers threw him in a pit, sold him into slavery, his coat of many colors. And now she catches his garment. But the good thing about it is Joseph may have lost his coat, but he didn't lose his character. I want you to notice about this, that it, it, it wasn't ever the clothes on the outside that made Joseph who he was. It was the character on the inside. And he was God's man, whether he had the coat on or not. The temptation did not end until she was left holding his garment and he was out running somewhere. Look at what it says in verse 12. And she called him by his garment, saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. That literally means he took off running and left his coat, his cloak, his garment behind. Now, we know the temptation. Let's examine Joseph's response to this temptation. How did Joseph endure this temptation? He didn't go looking for it. He didn't invite it. He didn't welcome it. So how did he continually and habitually refuse her sexual advances? I mean, they were bold. And you can imagine she probably pulled every trick out of the book. Well, I think the way he was able to respond is because he remembered some things. I think, first of all, he remembered his integrity. It's very beneficial to go back and read what Joseph said and see what Joseph did in this. Even though it wasn't written yet, he lived what Proverbs 1.10 says. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Look at his answer. Let's go back to verse 7. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph. And she said, lie with me. Look at this, verse 8. But he refused and said unto his master's wife. Watch this. Behold, my master, what if not or knoweth not what is with me in the house? And he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee. I want you to look at what he says, first of all. He says, I will not, I cannot, know why, because of my master. Who was this master of Potiphar? He says, Potiphar, trust me. Joseph was a man of integrity, a man of honesty. And he said, how can I do this and go against my master? I mean, he bought me and he's treated me well. He, he's given me promotion. Uh, he, he trusts me with all that he has. The only thing he, does, he hasn't given me is the things he puts in his mouth. He still kind of keeps a watch over that. And you. He remembered his integrity. I think he also remembered how important marriage was. If you keep reading there in verse 9. Neither have he kept back anything from thee but thee, because thou art his wife. He remembered how important marriage was. I'm sure maybe Joseph hoped that would kind of trigger a thought in her mind or at least put some brakes on there to realize, hey, you're married. Hey, hey Potiphar's your wife, your husband, you're his wife. He remembered how important marriage was. He remembered to call sin, sin. He remembered to call sin, sin. Notice what he says there in verse nine. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He minces no words in calling these actions, these proposed actions, this temptation, wickedness and sin. He remembered to call sin, sin. You say, well, that, that's not significant. I beg to differ. Listen to what one writer said. One of the devil's tricks in his campaign to promote sin and limit godliness is to call sin something other than what it is 
and thus make it sound less objectionable and perhaps even desirable. This is true of almost any sin. Unjustified hostility and temper are called self-expression or letting it all hang out because it's good to express yourself. Letting it all hang out becomes a justification for every type of ill-mannered, inconsiderate and openly destructive behavior. Listen, pride is interpreted as self-esteem. Gluttony is called the good life. Coveting is trying to improve yourself or get ahead. And the worst of these efforts is to rename sin in the matter of sexual relationships. Perversions which are condemned so directly and fiercely in the Bible are called an alternative lifestyle. We hear that today, don't we? An alternative lifestyle. Fornication is experimentation. And adultery, listen, adultery is an attempt to cure a lackluster marriage. He said the problem with these attempts to justify sin by renaming it is simply they conflict with reality. By that I mean call it what you will. Sin is still still sin and will operate destructively as sin. And you'll hear that time and time again this week as you read the newspaper, as you listen to the news, you'll see that sin in our world has been renamed and called something else. Why? It's less objectionable. It sounds desirable. Who wouldn't want to cure a lackluster marriage? But call it what it is, sin that takes on a whole nother life. Hear me and hear me well. We need to call it what God calls it. It is S-I-N, sin. It's sin, it's sin. And Joseph cut to the chase. He called it what it was. He says, it's sin. Great wickedness. And he remembered not only to call sin, sin. He also remembered the sinfulness of sin. He said, it's great wickedness. We've got to remember, beloved, it was our sin. Call it what you want to today. Our lying, our lust, our cheating, our anger, all those things and more that nailed Jesus Christ to the cross. Sin is not a plaything. It is not to be coddled and loved. It is damnable. It is wicked. It is perverse. It is abominable. And it brings no honor and no glory to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank God that Joseph didn't try to cure a lackluster marriage between Potiphar and Predator. He said, and I believe he said it, listen, graciously and kindly, but directly and forcefully, lady, that is sin and I'm not going to sin with you. He refused. He remembered his integrity. He remembered how important marriage was. He remembered to call sin, sin. And I think here's the key of all of it. He remembered his God. Look at the last part of verse nine. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He remembered his God. And beloved, that was the key to victory for Joseph. His focus, his mind, his heart, his will was focused upon God. He knew that the sin with her would be the sin against God. And his focus and his desire was upon pleasing and honoring God. Now, listen, his focus was not upon what might or might not happen. We hear a lot about that today in regards to this kind of temptation. We say, well, don't do it. You might have an unwanted pregnancy. Don't do it. You might catch a sexually transmitted disease. Don't do it. You might get AIDS. Don't do it. You might get caught. No. As bad as those things are, his focus was upon what is right. 
and not right by man's definition, but right by God's standards. He said, this isn't right. And remember this. Joseph didn't enjoy much of what we enjoy. He didn't just get back from Sunday school. He didn't just get back from prayer meeting or church. He didn't just get done just reading his Bible. He didn't have those things. He had heard some oral, some verbal things about God and had taught verbally and orally through the years in his home, perhaps. And I trust that he was. But beyond that, he had his God and he said, it's not right in God's eyes. He already mentioned his loyalty to Potiphar, his master, but his ultimate loyalty was to God himself. He would not defile himself, sin and bring dishonor to the name of Jehovah. He knew something we all need to remember. Even when no one else is around, no one else will see it's just you and predator. God sees. God sees. Proverbs 15, 3 says the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. God sees it. Whether you're at home or far from home, God sees it. I think he also remembered to keep his guard up. Verse 10 says it came to pass that she spake to Joseph day by day. That he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. That last part's very interesting. To be with her. Joseph did all he could to avoid this woman. Even being near her. That's wise. That's wisdom. That's being proactive. Not making provisions to fulfill the lust of the flesh. Some folks want to talk like this. Well, I'm strong. I can handle temptation. Joseph didn't say that. He realized that was dumb. Don't put yourself in situations where you know the temptation is going to come. Don't go there as much as possible. He tried to avoid her. He distanced himself from predator, a wise thing. But then in the normal routine of his life, doing what he was supposed to be doing, doing right, that temptation came again. And that's why I think it's important. He remembered this. He remembered to run. He remembered to run. Look at verse 12 again. She called him by his garment, saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled. He ran out. And got him out. You say, uh, to run, preacher, ain't that cowardice? No, it's courage. It's courage. When predator has you trying to draw you in, it's not time to stop and pray. It's not time to say, well, I know you're struggling in your marriage with Potiphar. I I was just reading this morning my devotions. I want to share this with you. It's not time to to share a a scripture verse with her. It's time to get out of there. It's time to run. Say, well, you got Bible for that? Yeah, I do. Second Timothy 2.22. Flee also youthful lust. What does it mean to flee? It means go, run, get out of there. Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Run! He lost his coat, but he didn't lose his character. Here's a wonderful promise from God. Mark this reference down. Look it up later. First Corinthians 10, 13. First Corinthians 10, 13. There have no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. If you're struggling, say, oh, I'm the only one being tempted, Lord. No, the Lord says, no, it's common. Others have millions before. Others will come behind you. Others are with you. It's common to man. But God is faithful. Listen. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able. But will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. There's always a way out. 
Christian, there's always a way out. God promises that. But here's what you need to understand. You've got to look for that exit and use it. You've got to look for that exit and use it. Don't run into it, biting that temptation. Say, oh, I'm going to pr- claim the promises of God. No. Distance yourself. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, flee fornication. Run from it. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committed fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For you're bought with a price. What does that mean, preacher? It means we're slaves. I'm a free man. No. I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm bought by the precious blood of Christ. I'm a bondservant to Jesus Christ. We're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Now, this third and final point, I want to examine some practical helps to help all of us as we face temptation. Kind of a summary and a wrap of all that we've talked about. Several things here. First of all, temptation is common and should be expected. It's common and should be expected. In other words, we've got to keep our guard up. It comes after great success. Man alive, it comes when you least expect it. It'll just show up. Keep your guard up. Secondly, temptation is not sin. The sin isn't in the bait, it's in the bite. And I emphasize that, you know why? Because some people, they struggle with false guilt. They're burdened down because they're tempted. Listen, beloved, temptation is common. It should be expected. It's not sin. Jesus Christ was tempted in all points like as we are. You don't need to walk around defeated because you face temptation. All of us face temptation. That is not sin. The sin is when we yield to that temptation. Notice, likewise, temptation can and should be resisted in the power of the Holy Spirit. Should and can be resisted to the power of the Holy Spirit. Not our power, but his power. We resist. Temptation comes at home and away from home. And oftentimes when we're away from home, it may even come more. Why? Because some of your safeguards are down and the accountability is down and those around you are down. You know, we find this over and over again. People go far away from home on business trips or to college or wherever. And they begin to say, do what? Oh, they're sowing their wild oats. Are they doing this and that? What are they doing? They're sinning. They're sinning. Notice, likewise, temptation is not done with you after the first refusal. It's not necessarily done with you after the first refusal. He said to predator, no, that wasn't enough. She said, watch out, buddy. I'm coming after you harder and stronger now. And she did. She was persistent. I think we also learned today that sin should be called by its right name. It's spelled S-I-N, sin. Call it by its right name. Sin is great wickedness. Sin is against God. Sin is destructive. Sin put Jesus Christ on the cross. Listen, I want you to hear this. One moment of yielding to temptation can ruin a, a character that took a lifetime to build. Did you hear me? One moment of yielding can destroy a lifetime of character being built. Notice, likewise, sin is pleasurable. Sin is pleasurable. If it wasn't, people wouldn't do it. But the scripture says what? 
It's pleasurable for a season, for a short time. It promises the world delivers hardly anything. Believer, when you sin. What happens, I know in my own life. Well, it might be that moment or second of pleasure, that conviction comes almost immediately. It's pleasurable, but only for a season. We learned today it's not cowardly to run from a temptation. It's not being a coward. That's showing courage to run. We also talked about we need to establish some hedges in our lives to protect ourselves. In other words, some hedges, some things that we're not going to do, some areas we're not going to go, some activities we're not going to be involved in. I want you to get that book. I talked about hedges. He's very practical there. I'll put a link on it uh, to it on my blog and you can go get it and you'll have to read it as a couple. Some hedges. In your life. You say, well, give me an example. Well, I, I won't counsel a lady without my wife being very close and present by. Why? Because something's going to happen? No, it's even the appearance itself. But that's a hedge. That's a protection that's there. Without my wife or another lady being close by, I won't do it. We need to stay in the word and in prayer. Developing and furthering our fellowship and our relationship with God. But I think a question might be really pressing upon many minds today, and that's this. What if I've already yielded and sinned? What if I've already given into temptation? Well, if you're saved today, you know, Jesus Christ is saved. You need to repent. Turn from that wickedness toward God. You need to confess, agree with God that it's sin and forsake it. And rejoice in that forgiveness. Does that always remove the consequences? No. But you at least have the freedom of knowing that you're forgiven and right. Maybe you heard today you say, preacher, I'm not even saved. I don't know Jesus Christ. Well, you need your sin forgiven. You need the Savior, the Lord Jesus. And he died in your place to take upon himself your sin. If you'll come today in repentance and faith and say, Lord, I don't want my sin. I want you save me. He'll do it. And you'll have new life. We began this morning on the outer banks of North Carolina with the wreckers. We're going to close and end on the south coast of England with a sailor and his chaplain. This sailor was talking to his chaplain. He said, chaplain, you don't understand. You're you're telling us to walk the straight and narrow path, but you don't realize the temptations we face. The way we're blown and tossed about. We, we can't really be blamed for what happens to us. The chaplain listening to this sailor, he drew the sailor's attention to the water. Now in the water were two sailboats moving along with their sails flapping in the wind. One was heading west and one was heading east. The chaplain said one boat goes east and one boat goes west. By the selfsame winds that blow... It's the set of their sails and not the gales that determine the way they go. Did you catch that? The selfsame winds. Yet they were going in opposite directions. Why? Because the set of their sails. The set of their sails determined which way they went. Do we have our sails set in the direction of obedience to God? If so, we can go the right way, even if the whole world is blown off course. Listen, 
Joseph had set his sails long before Potiphar's wife tried to steer him into the rocks. And that's one key I hadn't mentioned today. And that's this. He had already made up his mind before the temptation came that he was going to obey and do what is right. And you better do the same thing and so should I. Make up your mind before predators even on the scene prowling around. No, I will not go there. I will not do that. I'm going to resist and refuse in the power of the Holy Spirit. Are your sails and are they set today to obey the Lord Jesus Christ? Would you bow your head and close your eyes, please? Very, very quickly. I appreciate your kind attention today. As we studied some very applicable things today in which we live. We can't even go to the grocery store, beloved. We can't even drive down the highway now without temptation staring at us everywhere. We're going to face it. We face it daily. You're going to face it. You're going to face it before the day closes. Are your sails set to obey God? You're here today. Perhaps you'd say, I need to get forgiveness for some areas. Do that right now. You're here today and you don't know Christ as Savior. We'd love, we'd love to take a Bible and sit down and show you and explain to you the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And I'll invite you to come in just a moment when we sing and we put you with someone to do that. Right now, what's the Holy Spirit saying to your heart? Would you obey? Would you obey? Father, we love you and thank you. Thank you for this account. Thank you for Joseph. Thank you for the Lord Jesus. Work now in the invitation, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.